Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.57 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 3rd of February, 2021. This is episode 359 of Bitcoin and... We got a lot to cover. I'm going to get right into it. Samuel Haig, writing from Cointelegraph. 1,400 signed up for MicroStrategy's corporate Bitcoin buying boot camp. This was written sometime late last night. <clears throat> Leading global business intelligence firm MicroStrategy is hosting an online seminar this week to explain the legal considerations for firms seeking to integrate Bitcoin into their businesses and reserves. A February 3rd tweet from MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor said that representatives of more than 1,400 firms have already signed up for the event, which is dubbed Bitcoin for Corporations Legal Considerations. (laughs) The seminar will take place on February the 3rd and the 4th with five one-hour sessions scheduled for the first day and twice as many 30-minute sessions slated for the second. The first day will feature... Presentations from Saylor, the firm's president and CFO of Fong Lee, along with representatives of legal firms specializing in digital assets. The topics discussed will include strategies for incorporating Bitcoin into treasury reserves and related questions regarding the accounting, tax, legal, auditing considerations for firms who pursue this strategy. The second day will feature presentations from top crypto exchanges and fund managers, including Conbase, I mean Coinbase, Binance, Grayscale, and Galaxy Digital. In August, MicroStrategy made headlines after revealing it had purchased 21,000 BTC for $250 million. The following month, Saylor announced the firm had purchased an additional 16,796 Bitcoin for $175 million, with the firm continuously purchasing roughly 0.19 BTC every three seconds over 74 hours to complete the transaction. My God, that's that's a lot of corn to stack, man. You're going to need a grain silo for that shit, dude. Uh, in December, MicroStrategy issued $650 million worth of bonds, <clears throat> which were uh, quickly mobilized to purchase 29,646 BTC. The firm purchased an additional 314 Bitcoin for $10 million in late January. And while MicroStrategy paid like what was it? $1.095 billion to accumulate its BTC holdings. Current prices value the stash at $2.7 billion, which is a gain of 135%. Despite the firm's rampant Bitcoin accumulation leading to its shares being downgraded by Citigroup on December 8th, its stock has rallied by 113%. <laughs> People were laughing at Michael Saylor. And who knows, maybe they'll get the last laugh if, you know, if shit goes south like a duck in winter. I mean, there are no guarantees here, people. I mean, there 
somebody said something about like I tweeted something about Bitcoin versus gold and somebody said, you're just gambling. And I couldn't have said it better myself and I didn't, but a reply came into that particular tweet, which was a reply to me that said, dude, you literally gamble everything you do in life. Walking across the street, you're gambling. Um, I, I, you know, what else? I, the job that you select is a gamble. What if you hate everybody there? You know, the, the person that you marry is a gamble. Everything's a gamble. It's called life. I mean, what, what, exactly, what exactly do you want out of life? If you don't want anything out of life except a sure bet, then sit your ass down in a chair and stare at a wall. But even then, there's no guarantees that the wall will still be there in 50 years. Cash apps, Wall Street bets, stock purchases halted as the prices tank. This this time, it's Square's Cash App. God, Matthew DeSalvo, writing this on February the second for Decrypt.co. Now be aware, <clears throat> this is the this is from Cash App, and they're saying it ain't them; it's the company they depend on. Understand while I read this that this is why I Bitcoin. Okay, I'm not I'm not depending on a company that depends on a company to buy the stuff that I want or hold the stuff that I want, okay? So just be aware. <clears throat> now, we also don't know if any of this shit's true. I mean, Cash App says it. That doesn't mean that it's true. Take everything with a grain of salt. Everything is suspect. Always question everything. <clears throat> Earlier today, Payments Platform, <clears throat> or yeah, Payments Platform Cash App had announced that its clearing broker stopped processing purchases of AMC Entertainment and Nokia stock, two favorites of the Wall Street Bets Reddit group via its app. <clears throat> yeah, holding on here. That is the excuse that um, Robinhood app made a few days ago when they started this kind of shit. They're saying it ain't them, it's their clearinghouse. Well, if that's true, how come you can sell but not buy? If the clearinghouse was having problems across, you know, problems being able to process why can they only why is it that you can only process sells and you can't process buys somebody's buying it if you can process sells somebody is buying it which means that you're processing the buy i'm sorry but this is just the way that this shit is but let's continue <clears throat> square's app said or square said in a tuesday blog post that they didn't agree with the decision and that they were working to make them available again. The announcement came as GameStop, AMC, and other stocks pumped on Reddit's Wall Street Bets forum came crashing down. GameStop stocks last week shot up by 352% in three days to as high as $347.51 as amateur online traders pumped the stocks. But today, the shares dropped more than 50% to $113 point, or $113.5. During the frenzy, AMC Entertainment also hit highs of $19.90, but plunged back to $7.83. <clears throat> Quote, this is not Cash App's decision. We disagree with the move wholeheartedly, the app said. We hope to make the stocks available for purchase again as soon as possible. Cash App, which also allows for cryptocurrency purchases, added that its clearing broker, Axos, only halted purchases and that sell trade still remains available. So we see it again. Uh, and I reiterate, if you are a clearinghouse, you have to be able to, to do the full transactions. 
you, I mean, if you're allowing cells, if you're processing cells from somebody who is an, who's onboarding their shit to you, somebody's buying it. Unless you're buying it, is Axos buying this and keeping it for themselves? I think not. Clearing brokers work to ensure trades are settled by providing funds in the form of deposits to support trades. Purchases of the stocks have been halted as Central Clearinghouse DTC increased capital requirements on Axos. The move added further drama to the GameStop saga last week. Reddit users united to buy up shares in companies that had previously been shorted by big Wall Street hedge funds. Such shares were mostly from struggling companies such as video game retailer GameStop and the movie theater chain AMC. Uh, their move worked <clears throat> and caused pandemonium on Wall Street. One hedge fund, Melvin Capital, received an almost received an almost $3 billion bailout from two other hedge funds after closing out its GameStop shorts. But the shares are now tumbling. Cash App added that it has not yet been provided with a clear path to fix the situation ourselves. Representatives from Cash App did not immediately respond to Decrypt's request for further comment. Who knows what the hell's going on here? I mean, it, it's the, the entire system is so opaque to our view that literally, I mean, I mean I, I've got my issues with Jack Dorsey. Okay, I mean, it's like it's, it's it's sort of like a love hate relationship. I dig him, but he does shit that that pisses me off. <clears throat> and I, at this point, I don't trust what Ca what Cash App is telling me. I I don't know, and there's no as far as I know, there's I, there's no way that they can prove that this is what's going on. And and I mean, prove me on a shadow of a doubt. They need to release a statement, the statement that they got from Axos publicly. And I don't think legally they're able to do that, which means that the whole system is fucking opaque. And when, when you're dealing with shit you can't see, this is like driving through, and believe me, I know I've driven through several of them. Driving through a blinding snowstorm is one of the most infuriating things that you'll ever do in your entire life. And when I mean blinding, I mean you can't see shit one foot out in front of you you're in a car that weighs over a ton and you're going down the highway. You have to go slow, but even then it is unnerving. This is the same feeling I get from all this shit. It's very unnerving, <clears throat> including situations that seek to inflate the supply of a cryptocurrency. Yes, shit coinery on the way. Yearn Finance votes to inflate Wi-Fi token supply by 20%. Who, who could have seen this coming? Honestly. Nobody could have seen this coming, right? Right? Coindesk, Brady Dale, tell us about it. The Yearn Finance community has been discussing expanding the supply of Wi-Fi as a way to compensate the decentralized finance platform's de facto staffers. The vote went live on the web app Snapshot on January the 28th and ended today at 1800 UTC or 1 p.m. Eastern Time in the United States. Yearn Finance is collective, a collectively designed robo-advisor for yield that is fast becoming a, portable, a portal into all DeFi. It's governed by the token YFI, or Wi-Fi, which is worth slightly more than $30,000 as of this writing. There's a total of 30,000 Wi-Fi in existence per the project's original, quote, fair launch, end quote. If the new tokens were minted right now and had no impact on the market capitalization, then one would expect the value of Wi-Fi to drop to something like $25,000, meaning the new tokens would be worth $167 million, but these things are not predictable. 
The final vote to increase the supply was 1,670 Wi-Fi for versus 331 against. To participate in a vote, Wi-Fi holders have to stake to the <coughs> have to stake to the governance contract in advance of a vote by a specified Ethereum block number. The total amount of Wi-Fi staked to the vote on YIP uh, slash 50 or dash 57 was 4,089. Final changes are approved by six of the nine members of the Yearn Multisig, which is something like the DeFi equivalent of a board of directors <laughs> under the proposal. 33% of the new tokens would be set aside for key contributors, which contributor, which contributors the allocation would be for and how much each would get is completely unknown. Of course, opaqueness, there will be some sort of staking set up. So contributors only get their allocations for sticking around, but none of that has been decided. The other 66% will be set aside as a treasury for everything from protocol acquisition to further development. The decision marks a clear shift for the team, which acquired a unique amount of buzz for eschewing the convention of setting aside governance tokens for insiders. Oh, you mean you changed your mind? The authors of the newly passed proposal wrote, quote, <clears throat> Yearn's launch was exceptional at creating a decentralized and engaged community, but it did not provide adequate incentives to retain existing and future contributors on an ongoing basis, nor did it provide the, uh, nor did it provide the protocol with a war chest to fund future activities. The community remains somewhat divided on the initiative. As the vote indicates, though, most Wi-Fi holders are all for it. On the supporters' side, user ZK Waffles wrote, quote, This seems to be the equivalent of an equity raising round. In these rounds, an early stage venture will issue equity and in effect dilute current shareholders, the overarching idea being that the cash raised will increase future value enough to offset any dilution, end quote. On the opposite, user lar underscore science argued the proposal wasn't specific enough. Quote, I don't like it, so I voted against. It doesn't even specify what type of vesting we're talking about. I want it to be for five years, equal amounts per year. Uh, okay, so that's the end of it, and thank God. Uh, see, this is, we knew this was going to happen. We, I mean, all of us saw this last summer when this shit first kicked off, all of us were going, there's no way that this is going to just stay this. They're not going to adhere to the ethos, especially of Bitcoin. Right. And they're going to go. I mean, it was straight up shit coinery to begin with. <clears throat> but to my knowledge, this is the first time that I've actually seen a, a shit coin actively increase the supply of coin right before your eyes that didn't already have problems with issuance like Ethereum. We don't know how much is going to be issued. Okay. But that's always been a problem, right? It's not like they just one day changed their mind. I mean, I get, at least I'll give it to the ETH guys at that point that it's always been a shit show. This thing was a shit show. And then they literally in front of us took it up a whole new level because they just printed coins. What have we learned about money printing? It causes problems. How hard is this to understand, guys? I know this other guy, Michael Saylor, he does understand it. He gets it. <clears throat> he bought yet another $10 million worth of Bitcoin apparently yesterday. <laughs> Nick Chong 
is going to write this for BTC Time sometime this morning. But he says on Tuesday, which was yesterday, MicroStrategy submitted a filing to the United States Securities and Exchange Commission indicating that the firm has taken an additional $10 million position in Bitcoin. Again, if you're not following along, this was yesterday. He did $10 million last week, and he's due, or maybe the week before that, but this is another $10 million. On February the 2nd, 2021, MicroStrategy Incorporated, the company, announced that it had purchased approximately 295 Bitcoin for $10 million in cash at an average price of approximately $33,810 per Bitcoin, inclusive of fees and expenses, end quote. How the hell is he just able to buy every single dip? What, I, I mean, did he build, I mean, while he was studying Bitcoin, did he have a team of people building an analysis suite? Because that's the business that he's in, business analysis. Did he build a dip analysis machine or something like that? Because he seems to be getting in at every single dip. Jeez, Bitcoin, Bitcoin currently trades above $36,000 as, uh, as per BTC Times data, having broken out of its recent range around the lower 30,000s. 30, With this purchase, MicroStrategy now holds approximately 71,079 Bitcoin purchased at an average price of $16,000, including fees. These holdings are now currently worth over $2.5 billion, making MicroStrategy the largest public holder of the cryptocurrency, according to data from Bitcoin Treasuries. I don't think so. Grayscale holds more than that, I think. But whatever, we'll go with it. The purchase is in line with the firm's policy to take cash it has on hand and allocated to Bitcoin. MicroStrategy's purchase comes shortly after Roofer. We're going to get into the Roofer story here in a million, in a minute, so let's let's just hold off on that. MicroStrategy's decision to shovel yet more U.S. dollars into Bitcoin comes as Michael Saylor, CEO of the company, has been pushing corporate America to follow him. He told CNBC in January that he's having thousands, <clears throat> well, okay, 1,400 uh, executives and officers of top companies at a conference discussing how they can get involved in Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah, and that's that that um, <clears throat> that uh, conference that starts. Was that today or I can't remember? I just read it and I can't even remember. Hey, that's what you that's what you get for doing news at like 6:15 in the morning. Okay, give me a break. God, dweebles, dweebles. The U.S. dam, or USD dam, how to spot the failures and of faith and function in fiat currencies. This is Joe Durte, Joe Durte, D-I-R-T-A-Y, and I'm sure it's a pseudonym because he's got a picture of Joe Dirt for him <laughs> up here on the Bitcoin Magazine website. Uh, as of late, it is a regular occurrence to hear suits from the mainstream media cry out for the need of liquidity to save us. Quote, but what is this liquidity that they speak of? The average Joe may think the ocean of monetary energy known as the United States dollar is often misunderstood, but this liquidity can be the difference between hardly surviving or thriving with minimal effort often revolving around how close one is to the freshly made supply. Burr. Money printer go burr. This ocean of monetary energy may seem safe for the world's, uh, for the first world's fish swimming inside, but there's a catch. It is not actually an ocean. There is a man-made dam keeping the value from escaping and thus keeping the fish alive. Unfortunately, 
for everyone who enjoys safe first world waters with 2% inflation, there are cracks showing up in the United States dollars dam. The faith-based concrete is starting to show the test of time and bureaucratic ineptitude. To be fair, there has never been a fiat currency in history that has been able to stand the true test of time. The British pound is the longest standing fiat currency enduring a 325-year-long life. In the process, it has managed to leak out 99.99% of its purchasing power. (laughs) Good God. Unlike the British pound, the U.S. dollar is still seemingly in its glory days, often proclaimed by the financial elite as a reliable store of value due to its low volatility and long track history. Uh, support Sporting a total market cap of over $100 trillion, including various layers of money and debt instruments, it must be safe, right? At first glance, it seems safe. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Wrong. That's, how, that's not how dams work. If the structure becomes compromised... It can go from working perfectly fine to being completely broken in the blink of an eye. Working perfectly fine doesn't imply being perfect. Rather, the black swan moment has not occurred yet to expose the cracks, which begs the question, is there a way to find the cracks before the dam self-destructs? Maybe try to fix it, or maybe even try to find a bright orange Satoshi's Ark to survive the coming flood. Finding the for the average Joe and Jane across the globe, there is no hope in fixing the United States dollars dam. Luckily, we have some very skilled engineers across the world that can help us access wealth of, or sorry, access the health of the monetary structure. A logical voice on this topic with an exceptionally high signal to noise ratio is none other than Preston Pish well-known within the Bitcoin space for his ability to diagnose financial markets combined with knowledge from an engineering background, Pish is a perfect first stop on the structural inspection. Back in the early days of March 2020, when the financial markets and the entire world was going crazy, Nathaniel Whittemore sat down with Pish on his weekly podcast, The Breakdown, to record an episode titled, What Happens When Currencies Fail? During this episode, Pish laid out the three main factors that have historically signaled the pending failure of a currency. Quote, so few people understand. Few, baby, few. Particularly people in academia and on Wall Street don't understand the fact that currencies fail. In my opinion, when three conditions are met, Pish said in a slightly paraphrased, paraphrased way. First, a currency that is not pegged. Second, when the government is spending at a rate that far exceeds the tax revenue, and third, the debt that's denominated in that currency. So, for the U.S., it would be the treasury bond market has a yield of 0%. When all three of these scenarios are met, you start seeing the currency underlying it all go into failure. As much as I believe in the Bitcoiner motto of don't trust verify, let's take Pish's advice and point our magnifying glass to these potential weak points in the United States dam in order. A currency that is not pegged. First off, the United States dollar defaulted on its gold liabilities in 1971, forever to be known as the Nixon shock. From that day forward, the United States dollar was backed by nothing but the decree of the king, the definition of fiat money. The very definition of fiat money is decree of the king. It's important to note that after the Bretton Woods Conference of July 1944, the entire global monetary system was backed by dollars, which was presumably backed by gold. 
This means the Nixon shock not only threw the United States on a fiat money standard, but did so to the entire globe. And in parentheses, he says, seriously, check out WTFHappenedIn1971.com if you haven't yet. And I wholeheartedly agree. You need to go to WTFHappenedIn1971.com. If you're still not getting it, it's what the fuck happened in 1971, okay? But it's spelled WTF happened in 1971.com. This means that not only is the United States dollar pegged to, well, nothing, but the entire global monetary system is pegged well to nothing because it's pegged to the dollar, which is pegged to nothing at all. This may be the reason that the entire globe is massively in debt, upwards of $250 trillion dollars. But to who? That's a discussion for another day. Yeah, it better be because I am. I am. I'm really interested in in debt to who. I mean, we're, are we literally in debt to like each other three or four times over? I mean, it's like, oh, you're in debt to China, and China's in debt to you. But I think it's more like we're in debt to China three different ways, and China's in debt to us like four different ways, and Australia's in debt to Europe but not directly in debt to Europe because they're just, you see how this shit works because of all these freaking instruments. You don't know who owns the debt at this point. Unwinding this entire thing is going to be impossible. That's all I'm saying. Continuing on when the government is spending at a rate that far exceeds the tax revenue. This is the second point that pitch was making to continue. The second point is going to need some current and past data to try to get an idea. If the U S is currently spending more than it takes in And if it's getting better or worse, the data will be sourced from the United States Debt Clock website. While not perfect, it will give us an idea. As seen by the numbers above, and they give a a shot clock of the U.S. national debt. I mean, a screenshot of the debt clock, sorry. As seen by the numbers above, the United States government is spending $6.65 trillion per year, $3.2 trillion, yeah, $3.2 trillion of which needed to be freshly printed due to revenue shortfalls. For your information, that's almost half if you're not good at math. If this was a business, this would be defined as hemorrhaging capital. Luckily for governments, they don't play free market games, just highly manipulated and morally bankrupt games. On this playing field, efficiently using capital is frowned upon and there is no limit to the debt with which it is allowed to burden our future kin. To try to get an idea if this is a flash in the pan from COVID-19 or a sustainable problem, it's best to look at the long-term trend of U.S. debt-to-GDP ratio. Additionally, there are liabilities that the United States government has accepted but currently doesn't have the money set aside to pay for, commonly referred to as unfunded liabilities. The U.S. debt clock shows the debt-to-GDP ratio actually improving from 1960 to 1980. In the 40 years since then, it has absolutely exploded, with 2008 being the black swan that greatly accelerated the problem from the COVID-19 self-induced economic suffocation being the death knell for the debt-to-GDP ratio to ever recover. Secondly, take a look at the United States unfunded liabilities to see if we can find some hope in making their budget conundrum work out. Well, it turns out politicians have promised to pay for roughly $158.9 trillion of benefits to Americans. 
that they did not set aside the money for, because obviously you can always kick, kick the can down the road in American politics. It's pretty safe to say that the United States government will be spending more than it takes in for the foreseeable future. Third point, last but not least, it's time to analyze how the United States debt and broad debt markets are looking for 2021. It's probably important to cover some context for anyone who is not a bond market expert. For that, I will use a simple example. Your government is offering a war bond to help fight off the invading tribe. It is offering 5% interest on a five-year bond. You decide to throw in your last 100 clams to help reinforce the village. For the following five years, you would go to your local town center once every three months to receive your 1.25 clams in interest. After five years of this, you go back to the town center and receive your last payment of 1.25 clams plus your initial 100 clams, which is when you might start asking, why is this interesting like at all? Bond math only starts getting interesting when you sign up for a long-term bond. This simple example will highlight why I say this. A 30-year bond paying 1% interest sounds pretty crappy, right? You pay 100 bucks and you get $1 a year for 30 years, unless that is the interest rates went negative. If later that year, the market price for the 30-year bond was minus 1%, your lame investment just became a rock star. (laughs) Please tell me how. Don't believe me? Using a bond value calculator, it can be seen that your $100 investment is now selling for $170 on the open market, thus making long-dated bonds by far one of the best trades and easiest money of the last 50 years, which is when most rational people say, if bonds going negative is the only way to really make money and keep the game going, who in their right mind would buy a 30-year bond with a negative yield? That's a good question. As much hype as the equity markets get with Apples, Teslas, GameStops of the world, the debt market is where the biggest whales swim. The global bond market is somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 trillion. Good God Almighty. And the total debt market's being upwards of $250 trillion. Historically, interest rates have floated from low single digits to high teens or more based upon current financial conditions with 0% interest rates having never been observed in recorded history for obvious reasons. Never in recorded history has an investor lent out money only to get less in return, implying time has no value, or better yet, time has a negative value. Regardless of how obvious and simple this may seem, we are at the peak of a 3,000-year bull run with negative yielding debt everywhere. Currently, The global debt with a negative yield has reached over $18 trillion. I was unable to find a single picture dating back far enough, so two two were needed to show the dramatic increase over the last 10 years. And it shows basically two graphs. They go up and to the right, up and to the right, up and to the right. Get it? Now it's time for now it's time to zero in on the USD with yields across the entire curve being positive. USD is in a much better position than the majority of its monetary counterparts. With that said, 1% interest rates on a 10-year bond isn't exactly wonderful considering these same bonds had a 6% yield 20 years ago. So the obvious trend is going to zero or negative. Traditionally, the value of these bonds is calculated by taking the inflation rate, commonly measured by CPI, plus the duration risk, which goes up the longer the bond is dated for. With the price of commodities rocketing up for the first time in years due to economic difficulties and money printing, the CPI trend may just start reversing. 
Upon an increase in the interest rate, the entire banking and corporate establishment becomes insolvent. That doesn't sound very good. So what does the Federal Reserve do to solve this? It participates in something called yield curve control. This tactic would be simply described as printing money to buy any bond that trades over a certain interest rate, a.k.a. the Fed will lock rates in at near zero and print new money to ensure its corporate cronies and hedge fund friends are able to refinance at ever lower rates thus letting the purchasing power of the USD act as the relief valve to save the debt markets. Inversely, if rates keep falling without yield curve control due to economic deflation, Pish's 0% debt criteria will be hit, implying that low, negative, uh, low to negative rates are inevitable no matter what future we head into. Upon finishing the structural inspection, it's clear to see that the USD dam has major cracks, and the faith-based structure has little hope of salvation at this point. But to close things out on a brighter note, I'd like to highlight my favorite method to avoid the fallout caused by poorly engineered fiat monetary structures, Satoshi's bright orange arc. Bitcoin is a miracle of modern-day engineering. Its monetary properties and foundational anti-fragility make it a fantastic option to help you ride out the coming instability. This decentralized network of nodes, miners, and cyber hornet hodlers protect the network from all foes 24-7-365, with even the attackers of the network adding to the strength of its encrypted hull. There is no better way to ride out the coming chaos of the USD dam breaking than stacking sats, staying humble, and trying to protect your friends and family from the coming flood. Okay, let's just get a little bit of levity on that last paragraph here. The oncoming chaos of the USD dam breaking. Remember, Bretton Woods pegged all of the major currencies of the world in 1944 to the dollar. In 1971, Nixon took took us off the gold peg, which meant that when we went free-floating into fiat space, so did 40 to 70 other countries, and all of them were the major currencies at the time and probably still are. Everything broke. When we broke the dollar peg, then not only did the dollar become fiat, but all their shit came, became fiat, but yet their shit is still pegged to the dollar. When the U.S. dollar implodes, then like all these other countries, there's, there's no structure left. There's, nothing to, there's no handholds. It's like being in an avalanche or a tidal wave. It's just, it's too big. That's why they keep talking about Bitcoin as an arc. We need an arc. Let's run the numbers. CNBC, commodities, bread, energy futures. Got West Texas, uh, West Texas Intermediate crude is shot up uh, almost three quarters of a percent. $55.16. Brent North Sea, almost a point to the upside. $58.02 is going to buy you a barrel of that. Natural gas, for the first time, is not in a point or multi-point gain or loss. It is down a third of a point. Gold is up 0.175. uh, $1,836 is what's going to get you an ounce of that. Silver is going up again. Uh, There's a lot of volatility in the silver markets because of FUD and infighting between hedge funds uh, and media and the guys over at Wall Street Bets. 
<clears throat> platinum is up 0.71, copper is up 0.65, and palladium is up at 0.82. See what equities and markets are doing. Indices, we got indices. Ooh, Dow futures is unchanged, bruh, unchanged. S&P futures up a scant 0.29. NASDAQ futures up 0.64%, and the S&P mini is down 0.13. Uh, looks like nobody knows what the hell is going on this morning. So it should be an interesting trading day. Bitcoin is at $35,992.38. I got a high. looks like it's going to be over at Bit, Bitfinex at $36,405. There's a lot of arbitrage room here. This is like a, like days of old arbitrage, okay? So you got like like $400 of wiggle room if you want to go through all that all the crap to do it. We have 3000 or 356,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That is going to be let's see 14,837 transactions per hour, half a million BTC trading hands in the last 24 hours. We have 21,500 uh, 21, BTC being sent on average every hour. One and a half BTC is the average transaction value. 0 0.023 BTC is the median transaction value. That's 800 bucks. Block times are excessively low. Eight minutes and 47 seconds. 0.85 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. And let's see here, uh, 132.7. Uh, BTC being taken in fees in the last 24 hours. We have had an increase of 20% in hash rate in the last 24 hours, bringing us to an eye-popping 157.2 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, what's Dogecoin doing? 0 0.032, so 3.2 United States pennies is what one Dogecoin is going to get you. Looks like they got a fair amount of volume. Our transactions are 35, yeah, 34 and a half thousand uh, over the last 24 hours. Uh, so, yeah, eh, yeah, okay, screw it. Clark, what's going on? 39,400 transactions will have to board 78 blocks to clear. We've captured 5.65% of gold's market cap and one Bitcoin will buy you 19.6 ounces of the shiny rock. Total market capitalization of Bitcoin is $674.7 billion. We have 18,618,062.9 BTC in circulation at this time with a price of 36,225 according to Clark Moody's dashboard. We have 1,066 and a half BTC in the Lightning Network. <clears throat> That's $38.6 million worth of capacity. We have that running over 8,682 nodes with 37,657 channels. Tor side of the network is stable at 52.9%. So 52.9% of Lightning is run over Tor nodes. That has 563.9 BTC in it, and that is being held over 3,296 nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Hey, remember how I said we were going to get back to the rougher investment thing? Yeah, well, here we go. BTC times... Darius Z is writing this one, February the 3rd. Ruffer Investment earned $650 million in profits from Bitcoin. Warning, weak hands are on the way. Investment management firm Ruffer Investment sold, weak hand, 
a portion of its Bitcoin investment for millions of profit to keep a risk-free long position on the crypto asset. Okay, how's that read? They bought a lot of Bitcoin. They saw that they could make a shit ton of money, so they sold some and kept some. Not the weakest hand in the world, but certainly not the strongest hand. I guess we're talking about cardboard hands if you want to get into the whole paper versus diamond hand thing. I don't know. Wooden hands. Let's just call it wooden hands. According to a February 2nd report by UK news outlet, The Telegraph, the investment manager has sold $650 million worth of Bitcoin after the value of its holding had more than doubled following its initial November investment. The firm's investment director, Duncan McGinnis, admitted to being amazed at the speed at which the the firm was able to turn a profit. Quote, we've been surprised at how well it has done and how quickly. We did not expect immediate fireworks. The 2.5 PC allocation we made in November across all our funds, which totaled around $600 million. This has more than doubled, so we decided to take out our book cost and take $650 million in profits. We still have around $700 million left in and are currently up by $750 million overall, end quote. In other words, Ruffer Investment was able to sell enough Bitcoin to fully cover their initial position cost while also maintaining exposure to the asset with the remaining funds. McGinnis explained that the firm, which reportedly managed 21 billion pounds or $29 billion U.S. worth of assets at the end of 2020, had been following Bitcoin's rise for years and used to be rather skeptical of it during the 2017 bull run. McInnes believes that Bitcoin's appreciation throughout the last year hit different than three years prior, citing the impact of an uncertain economic environment through the rise of negative interest rates and bond yields, an ongoing war on cash caused by the coronavirus pandemic, and also other factors such as digitization. Quote, everything is digital. Our lives are far more digital than a year ago. There are now proper regulated institutions buying in as well. People are are desperate for alternative safe haven assets, and Bitcoin is like a digital gold. We are at the foothills of a long upward trend in its institutionalization. End quote. McInnes remarks strike a note with the ideas recently expressed by Tesla CEO and the world's richest person, Elon Musk. As BTC Times reported on Monday, Musk commented on audio chat platform Clubhouse that Bitcoin is on the verge of getting broad acceptance by the conventional financial people. It certainly is. Um, U.S. Bitcoin exchange traffic explodes as analysts says flows hint at new Bitcoin bull run. William Suberg writing this for Cointelegraph.com. With Coinbase firmly within the top 500 U.S. websites by popularity, it seems that all publicity is good publicity as mainstream consumers come on board. Bitcoin exchanges in the United States are seeing unprecedented popularity as a wave of adoption sweeps the market. Data from statistics resources Alexa and similar web show that major exchange Coinbase now ranks within the top 1,000 most popular websites around the world. As BTC USD circles all-time highs, its run to 42,000 in January appears to have sparked a tsunami of new user engagement with some of the most popular cryptocurrency trading platforms. In the United States, the focal point of institutional inflows into Bitcoin in recent month, exchanges Gemini, Kraken, and Binance US are all part of the top 10,000 global sites. When Binance just beats Coinbase in terms of worldwide visits, the latter reigns supreme among its domestic market, ranking 386th 
among U.S. Internet users. The data relates to December 2020, with the crypto rush at the start of this year likely hiking exchange popularity even further. Despite widely publicized system outages and other technical problems, phenomena which have plagued Coinbase throughout the years, its popularity remains clearly unaltered, which is insane. Quote, Coinbase had 1.3 million app downloads in January. That's more than E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, Fidelity, and SoFi had combined. Morgan Creek Digital co-founder Anthony Pompliano noted on Tuesday, Coinbase currently ranks as the top crypto-specific finance app on the Apple App Store with both Binance and Binance US also in the top 10. In a further hint that bad publicity is not just as bad as it may seem, retail trading app Robinhood likewise saw a huge jump in app downloads last week as users and commentators alike complained about what they viewed as arbitrary restrictions on their actions. As Cointelegraph reported, meanwhile, Coinbase as a venue for large buys has become a useful bellwether for assessing market appetite to buy or sell. This week saw large withdrawals from the exchange to private wallets, something which one analyst suggested marks a continuation of institutions buying for the long haul. Quote, the strongest bullish signal is working. Kai Young-Ju, CEO of chain anal- on-chain analytics firm CryptoQuant, continued in fresh comments on Wednesday. Quote, 32.4 thousand was the bottom and BTC price surged 13%. But as I said, institutional buying is the strongest, strongest bullish signal overriding all other bearish signals. I expect it will go up more. BTC is trading around 36,000 at the time of writing up 4.8% <clears throat> on the day after hitting highs of 36,820. So there you go. Now, Helen Parts' turn from Cointelegraph, she says Canadian investment firm Accelerate Financial files for a Bitcoin ETF, yet another Bitcoin ETF. This was written early this morning. Calgary-based financial services firm Accelerate Financial Technologies is the full name of that company. Another Canadian company has filed an application for a Bitcoin Uh, exchange-traded fund or ETF amid a renewed interest in crypto ETS from global financial firms. Accelerate Financial Technologies has filed and obtained a receipt for a preliminary prospectus with Canadian securities regulators for the Accelerate Bitcoin ETF or ABTC. That's a good name, I guess. Announcing the news on February the 3rd, Accelerate Financial said that ABTC will offer units denominated in both United States and Canadian dollars The company has applied to list ABTC units on the Toronto Stock Exchange while listing being subject to the exchange's requirement. Quote, the TSX has not conditionally approved ABTC's listing application, and there is no assurance that the TSX will approve the listing application, the company noted. Accelerate financial founder and CEO Julian Klimochov. Okay, I can't. I can't pronounce it. Sorry. Klimochko, I guess, is... Sorry, said that the company is looking forward to offering investors exposure to Bitcoin as one of the best performing assets based on its historical track record and future potential. Bitcoin has been one of the best performing asset classes on a one, three, five, and 10 year basis, both absolute and risk adjusted, he stated. In mid January, Canadian investment fund manager Axavronum, whatever, filed a prospectus for a Bitcoin ETF with a local securities regulator. On January the 21st, Van Eck filed with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission to launch their own digital asset-related ETF. 
everybody's going after an ETF, which is spells bad news for the likes of Grayscale and all the rest of the Bitcoin trust companies that are out there because the ETF just ends up, it just ends up massacring you on, on, or massacring people who are charging you a lot of fees and Grayscale charges fees and premiums and ETFs don't come along with that kind of baggage. So if, if these all get launched at once, Barry Silbert will have to take his billions of dollars that he's made so far. And I guess, I guess cry in his yacht. I don't know. I don't really give a shit. Uh, Binance quietly launches its crypto based PayPal rival. I didn't even hear about this. Jeff Benson is writing for decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Binance, the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange by trading volume, isn't content to just have people buy Bitcoin and other coins. It wants to kickstart demand by having people use cryptocurrency. The global exchange announced earlier today at its virtual event, Binance Blockchain Week, that last Friday it had sneakily launched a beta version of Binance Pay, its answer to PayPal. Yeah. Quote, Binance Pay is a contactless, borderless, and secure cryptocurrency payment technology designed by Binance, read an explainer on its website. Binance Pay, which is in beta, allows you to pay and get paid in crypto from your friends and family worldwide. Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao told the virtual Binance Blockchain Week audience, quote, we think that payments is one of the most obvious use cases for crypto, but it's encountered some challenges, he shared. The biggest difficulty is for merchants to have systems in place to accept currencies that the overwhelming majority of customers don't use. It's just easier to accept cash and credit because people use them on a regular basis. Binance system allows users to pay in crypto while the merchant receives fiat-backed stablecoins that can be converted into fiat. At this point, the product only supports one type of fiat, which is the euro, said CZ. Quote, this way their business doesn't have to fluctuate with cryptocurrency prices. End quote. The exchange is billing Binance Pay as a basket of products, which will include the previously unveiled Binance Card, a debit card that converts users' crypto to fiat whenever they make a purchase. Like Binance Card, Binance Pay supports five currencies. Bitcoin and Ethereum are both represented, as is the exchange's BUSD stablecoin and Binance Coin, or BNB. An exchange-specific utility token used to pay trading fees and take part in Binance-hosted token sales. Users can also pay with SXP tokens from credit card company Swipe. Binance purchased the firm last year. Unlike the, the debit card, there's no actual card with Binance Pay. Users can transfer funds from their wallet using a QR scanner on the app. Though CZ has big plans for Binance Pay, he joked that the beta launch has been quiet. If you can find the product, you can try it, he said. Sounds like terrible marketing. He'll... He, He'll probably win. I don't know, man. Okay, we're going to end the news with a little bit of talk about running a, running your own full node. Um, a lot of people look at this and say, I want to run my own full node, but I, I don't know how. And it's not that you just don't know how. It's that I think the first, the first hurdle for people to get over is... What, what to expect when you're putting together a full node? What does it look like? What does it contain? What does it do? Why should I run one? And I'm hoping that this piece by Tim Copeland, which is how to run a Bitcoin node on a Raspberry Pi for 2021, will kind of make that a little bit easier. Okay, so here we go. 
This was actually all the way back on January the 27th, but I think it's worth it. I think we all, if you're not running a node, you should be running a node. Okay. It, we, I, I feel like I'm obligated to run a node. So at just $200, here's how to get started. In late 2019, I set myself the challenge of building a Bitcoin node on a Raspberry Pi. It went well, but it was rather a complicated process. My second attempt ran into a host of problems, which proved to be insurmountable. But it's now 2021, and there are far better tools available to the would-be node runner. This time around, putting together a Bitcoin node took just a couple of days' work and $200, and here's how I did it. This time around, I tried using Umbral to set up my Bitcoin node, and it was impressively simple. First, you have to order the parts. The basics that you need are a Raspberry Pi 4, a charger, a one terabyte solid state drive, a 16 megabyte SD card, and a heat sink case to keep the whole thing cool. Umbral's website has a list of the specific parts that you need. You will also want an ethernet cable to connect the Pi to your internet router and may need an SD card reader if you don't already have one. And if you don't have one, yes, you will need one. Once they've arrived, you'll put, want to put the Raspberry Pi into its case. Attaching the case to the Pi is straightforward. First, you need to take the small blue square, which is a thermal pad, and take off the plastic bit on the other side. Then stick it down on the silver square, which says Broadcom CPU, in the middle. And this is on the Raspberry Pi. Then you want to place the Pi carefully inside the lid of the case that you bought. Angle it slightly forward the small uh, angle it slightly toward the small the four smaller ports on one side of it to fit in. Once it's in snug, put the base on top. Then put the four screws in, and it's ready. Literally, you just shove the the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> After you put the heatsink on, you shove the Raspberry Pi to the box, and then you screw the lid on the box. Honestly, that's all there is to it. Uh, to connect the hard drive, plug it into the USB port. Similarly, the power charger just goes into the USB-C port. And the Ethernet cable goes into the Ethernet port. And this connects your Pi to the Internet, allowing you to access it from your computer. Now, loading the Umbral software. To start with, you'll need to download the Umbral operating system onto your computer. It takes 10 minutes to download. You'll also want to get Balena Etcher. That is spelled B-A-L-E-N-A-E-T-C-H-E-R. And it's a software that you will need to put that operating system onto the SD card. Once those are both downloaded, insert the SD card into your computer. Then you want to use the Balena Etcher software to flash the umbral.img file that you've downloaded. It's a straightforward three-step process and takes three minutes guys if it what i said sounds confusing just remember that it takes three minutes to do what i just said all right and all this stuff comes with instructions from uh from umbral okay so just just saying once you've done that take the sd card out of your computer and put it into the end of the raspberry pi on the opposite end of the ethernet cable and you're pretty much done after about five minutes this, and you'll want to turn on, I mean, you turn on the, the Raspberry Pi to let it boot up because it's like a little standalone computer. After about five minutes, go to umbral.local and you should be able to get set up. Okay, so let's say what that, what that is. Your computer is attached to your internet router. 
Your Raspberry Pi that's, that has the Umbral software on it is also attached to that same router. That means that you've got like a mini local area network. And the way that you get your computer to talk to another computer is to give your computer in a browser, like you're going to a website, the address of the other computer. And that's what you're doing when you type in umbral.local. Like for my node, it's my node.local. .local lets your computer know that it's looking for something very, very close to it, usually on your local area network, okay? Once it connects to the Raspberry Pi, you get the interface of another computer in a web browser. I love the way the system works. And the, it works the same way with my node, and it's just really, really slick. In my case, it wasn't working, so I had to download Angry IP Scanner to find the right link. Once I found the IP address associated with the Umbral node, I just put that in my desktop browser and it took me to the landing page. Yeah, sometimes umbral.local or mynode.local doesn't work. It's always worked for me, but you can always fall back to just finding its own IP address and you can use Angry IP Scanner to find the IP addresses of the devices that are attached to your router, okay? Umbral, <clears throat> Umbral makes setting up your Bitcoin node a straightforward process with a beautiful user interface. <clears throat> you start by choosing a name for your device and creating a password, which has to be at least 11 characters long. Then you have to write down your mnemonic code, which comprises 24 words. These words enable you to access your Bitcoin wallet, so it's important to keep them safe. Finally, you need to accept three conditions, including that the software is in beta and that you're not going to put more funds on the Bitcoin node than you're prepared to lose. Then the dashboard appears and you have easy access to your Bitcoin node inside your desktop browser. It really is impressive. For any readers who remember reading my 2019 Bitcoin node article, they will remember that I had to use terminal to SSH to the Pi for a non-coder. It was awkwardly complex. And when things went wrong on a later attempt, I struggled to troubleshoot anything, spending many frustrated hours on it. As a result, using the Umbral software was a breath of fresh air. Umbral lets you get started right away. In the background, the node is processing all of the Bitcoin blocks in its history, which will take around two full days, but for now it uses an SPV node, which means that the node has a list of all the blocks but hasn't verified that each one is legitimate. This means you can interact with the Bitcoin blockchain, but you're not helping to maintain it just yet. The dashboard is very clear. It shows you that your node is processing the Bitcoin blockchain with mine already at 28% after an hour or so, although it will slow down because there's more transactions in later blocks. You can also see your Lightning wallet to interact with the Lightning network and send Bitcoin both faster and cheaper. You can perform simple tasks like sending Bitcoin to your wallet. And once you have Bitcoin, you can make it accessible on the Lightning network. <laughs> when using Lightning, you can request payments. That means you can specify how much you want someone to send you and it creates a QR invoice. If someone else scans that invoice, they will automatically be presented with the amount that you are requesting and they may choose to pay that in invoice if they so wish. There are a few limitations to using the Lightning Network, such as having to start by sending money first. Plus there are limits to how much money you can send through the network in one go. That, what's also interesting though, is that you can install apps to make the most out of your node. The apps include BTC Pay Server for accepting Bitcoin payments as a company, Spectre Desktop for connecting your hardware wallet to your node, and several Lightning apps for viewing and connecting to the network. 
There's also a blockchain explorer app called BTC RPC Explorer. This is a straightforward block explorer, but all the data comes directly from your own Bitcoin node, not somebody else's. So even if all the Bitcoin block explorers in the world were taken down, you would still be able to search the history of the Bitcoin blockchain for yourself. One final comment is that Umbral runs through Tor and does so by default, thank God. This helps to protect your privacy when connecting with other nodes. You can also access a node from another computer via Tor using a link that's provided. With its slick UI, Umbral brings the notion of building your own Bitcoin node into the 21st century, making it practical for everyday people to take control over their own money and also support the Bitcoin blockchain, the network, all us other users. It's not just that you're supporting Bitcoin when you run your full node, you're supporting me. Even if you're not giving me money, you're supporting me and I'm supporting you. We're all supporting each other. And every single node that we throw onto the, on, into the network is yet one more thing that a government would have to contend with. If you want to punch the government, it doesn't matter which one. You can punch somebody else's, you can punch your own. Right square in the face, then run a node. And you can do it for 200 bucks. They got, Umbral's got a parts list. They give you the operating system. You, all you do is put the put the damn Raspberry Pi in the case, flash the Umbral operating system onto an SD card, and then put that SD card into the Raspberry Pi, connect it to your router, connect it to power, turn the damn thing on, let it boot up, you're off to the races. I put my node together in, a, in I don't know, I had mine up and running inside of an hour, honestly. It was so easy and Umbral has made it even easier, it seems. I'm getting a lot of a lot of uh feedback or I'm I'm reading a lot of feedback to Umbral about just how nice it is. I will probably start running an Umbral node alongside uh a my node. I don't, you know, I, I just there's something about like I'm looking at it right now. I can fit this thing in my back pocket. The, the, my Raspberry Pi 4, along with its uh, terabyte hard drive, which is an SSD, I can put them together, put them in, in my back pocket. Of course, they wouldn't be connected to the internet or a power source, but the point is, is it is just sitting on my desk and it's supporting everybody else on the Bitcoin network. Consider running a node. Find $200, order the parts, get it done. Okay, just get it done. Run a full note today. You'll be happy that you did. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. He says, I started a band called Blanket. It's a cover band. Hey, it's late. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon.